Chapter Twenty One of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One: Questions and Answers. A murmur of amazement went round the room like the sound of rising wind. The coroner held up his hand for silence. You say it is yours, Miss Brellier. This is really most remarkable, most remarkable. The revolver is of French make, is it not? You bought it abroad. I did just before I first came to England. I had been travelling through Tunis before that, and well, one doesn't like to be without these things. Sir Nigel's revolver came from India, I believe. Through the agents of a French firm, the makers. But the coroner's voice was low-pitched, incredulous. Are you trying to tell us you fired a shot that night, Miss Brellier? She shook her head, smiling. No, that would be impossible. But my revolver has always lain in that little secrétaire. And I have never had cause to use it since I have been on this side of the Channel. I was in bed early that night with a headache. My uncle will tell you that. He took me to my room and spent the rest of the evening in his study, as you have already heard from him. No, I cannot say I murdered Dacre Wynne, though I would say that or anything to save Nigel. But I didn't discover that this little revolver of mine had ever been fired until yesterday, when I happened to go to my secretaire for a letter which I had locked away in that particular drawer. Then I took it up and chanced to examine it. I don't know why. Perhaps because it was the same as Nigel's. I. She choked suddenly and bit at her lips for control. Is there not a loophole here, sir, by which Sir Nigel might be saved? Surely it must be traced who used this revolver, who fired the shot from it. Her voice had risen to a piteous note that brought the tears to many eyes in that crowded room. The coroner coughed. Then he glanced inquiringly over at Brellier, who had risen from his seat. You have something to say about this, Mister Brellier? Brellier made a clicking sound with his tongue. I'm afraid my niece has been wasting your time, sir," he said quietly. "Because I happen to have used that little instrument myself five months ago. We had a dog who was hurt. You remember Franco Toinette, and if you carry your mind back. You will also recollect that he had eventually to be shot, and that I was forced to perform that unpleasant operation myself. He was dear to me, that dog. He was, how do you call it, a true pal. It hurt me to do this thing, but I did it, and with that revolver also, it was light. Toinette must have forgotten that I mentioned the matter to her. I am afraid this can have no bearing upon the case. 
though the dear god knows that i would do all i could to bring this terrible thing to an end if it lay in my power that is all i think he bowed and sat down again beckoning his niece back to her seat with a little frown she cast a piteous look up into the coroner's face i'm sorry she said brokenly i had forgotten about that of course it is true as my uncle said but i was so anxious so anxious and there seemed just a chance you understand i do miss brellier and i am sorry that the evidence in this case is of no use to us constable take the prisoner away to await higher justice i must say that i think no other verdict upon the evidence brought forward could possibly be passed upon the prisoner than i have passed to-day i'm sorry sir nigel but one must do one's duty you know we'll be getting back to the office mr murkford he beckoned to his clerk who rose instantly and followed him good afternoon gentlemen and so the whole wearisome proceedings were at an end, and Cleek had spoken no word of that would-be assassin who had come upon him in the dark watches of the night and sought his life. He noted that Borkins looked at him in some surprise, but held his counsel. Borkins knew more than he had said upon his oath this day. Of that Cleek was certain. Well, he would bide his time. There were other ways to work besides the open-handed fashion of the coroner's court and the policeman's uniform. He was due to meet Borkins that night and discuss the possibilities of being taken on to work at the electrical factory. Something might come out of that. Something must come out of that. It was impossible that the thing should be left as it was, and an innocent boy—he was certain of Merriton's innocence in spite of the evidence against him—should be hanged. As he stepped out into the growing twilight, Cleek touched Mr. Narkom on the arm, and then ran over to the van into which the prisoner was stepping, his guardians of the law upon either side of him, his face white his shoulders bowed. Toinette stood a few steps distant, the tears chasing themselves down her face, and the sobs drowning her broken words of comfort to him. He seemed barely to notice her, but at sight of Cleek he flung himself round and gave a harsh laugh. "'And the damn lot of good you've done me for all your fine reputation,' he said sneeringly his face reddening. God, that there should be such fools allowed to hold the law in their hands. You've made a mistake this time, Mr. Cleek. One moment. Cleek held up a silencing hand as the name almost escaped Merriton's lips. Officer, I'm from Scotland Yard. I'd like a word with the prisoner alone, if you don't mind, before you take him away. I'll answer for his safety, I promise. Keep your heart up, boy. 
I've not done yet. This in a low-pitched voice, as the two men dropped away from either side. I've not done by a long shot, but evidence has been so confoundly against you. I'd hopes of that I.O.U., but the whole thing was so simply explained, and there were the proofs, you know. Still, there was no telling how the story would come out, but it was so obviously true. Only keep up your heart, lad. That's what I wanted to tell you. I'd swear on my oath you weren't guilty, and I'll prove it yet. Something like a sob broke in Merriton's voice. He held out an impetuous hand. I'm sorry, sir, he said jerkily, but it's a devilish ordeal. What a life I've led this past week. If you only knew, could only realise. It tears a man's nerves to atoms. I've almost given up hope. Cleek took the hand and held it. Never do that, Merriton. Never do that, he said softly. I've been through the mill myself once, years ago now, but the scar still stays, and it'll be a bit more red hell for the present. But if there's any saving you, any proving this thing right up to the hilt, I'll do it. That's all I wanted to say. Goodbye, and buck up. I'm going to speak to the little girl now and cheer her up, too. You'll hear everything as it comes along. He squeezed the hand, manacled so grimly to the other, and smiled a smile brimming over with hope and promise. God bless you, Mr. Headland, Merriton replied, and as Cleek beckoned to the two policemen, took his stand between them and entered the closed vehicle. The door shut, the engine purred, and the car shot away up the road toward the local police station, leaving the man and the girl staring after it, the same mute sorrow and sympathy shining in both pairs of eyes. As it disappeared round a corner, Toinette turned to Cleek, her whole agonised heart in her eyes. Mr. Headland! She broke out with a gush of tears. Oh, monsieur, if you did but know, could but understand all that my poor heart suffers for that innocent boy. It is breaking every minute, every hour. Is there nothing, nothing that can be done to save him? I'd stake my very life on his innocence. Cleek let his hand rest for a moment upon the fragile shoulder and looked down into the pallid face. I know you would, he said softly, for even I know and understand what the love of a good woman may do to a man. But tell me, that story of the revolver, your revolver, you can vouch for it? Your uncle did kill the dog Franco with it. You can remember? Forgive me for asking or questioning for a moment the evidence which Mr. Brellier has given, but I am anxious to save that boy from the hands of the law, 
and for that reason no stone must be left unturned, no secret kept silent. Carry your mind back to that time, and tell me if that is true. She puckered her brows together as if in perplexity, and tapped one slim, perfectly manicured finger against her white teeth. Yes, she said at last. Yes, it was every bit of it true. Every bit, Mr. Headland. For the moment, in that room of terror, I had forgotten poor Franco's death. But now, yes, I can remember it all fully. My uncle spoke the truth, Mr. Headland. I can promise you that. Cleek sighed. Then, but it was your revolver he used, Miss Brellier. Try to remember. He said that he told you of it at the time. Can you recollect your uncle telling you that he used your revolver to shoot the dog with, or not? That is what I want to know. She shrugged her shoulders and spread out her hands. It is so difficile. I am trying to remember, and the matter seemed then so trivial. But there is no reason to doubt my uncle, Mr. Headland, for he loves Nigel dearly, and if there was any way in which he could help to unravel this so terrible plot against him, oh, I am sure he must have told me so, sure. There would be no point in his telling an untruth over that. And yet you cannot recall the actual remark that your uncle made, Miss Prelier? No, but I am sure, sure that what he said was true. Cleek shrugged his shoulders. Then, of course, you must know best. Well, we must try and find some other loophole. I promised Merriton I'd speak a few words to you, Miss Prelier. "'just to tell you to keep up heart, though it's a difficult task. "'But everything that can be done will be done. "'And if you should happen to hear that I have thrown up the case "'and gone back to London, don't be a bit surprised. "'There are other ways, other means of helping than the average person dreams of. Don't mention anything I have said to you to anybody. Keep your own counsel, please, and as a token of my regard for that, I will give you my word that everything that can be done for Merriton will be. Goodbye. He put out his hand, and she laid her slim one in it. For a moment her eyes measured him, scanning his face as though to trace therein anything of treachery to the cause which she held so dear. Then her face broke into a wintry smile. "'I have a feeling, Mr. Headland,' she said softly, "'that you are going to be a good friend to us, Nigel and me. It is a woman's intuition that tells me and it helps me to bear the too dreadful suspense under which we are all now labouring. You have my word of honour never to speak of this talk together, and to keep a guard on my tongue for the future, if it is to help Nigel. You will let me know how things go on, Mr. Headland? That I cannot for the present tell, 
It will depend entirely upon how events shape themselves, Miss Brellier. You may hear soon, you may not hear at all, but I believe in his innocence as deeply as you do. Therefore you must be content that I shall do my best, whatever happens. Goodbye. He gave her fingers a soft squeeze, held them a moment, and then, dropping them, bowed and swung upon his heel to join Mr. Narkom, who was standing nearby, the last of the group of interested spectators of that afternoon's ghastly business. Dollops stood a little back from them, awaiting his orders. "'We'll have some supper at the village pub, my dear Lake,' said Cleek, in a loud, clear voice that carried to every corner of the deserted garden. "'And then come back to the towers long enough to pack up our traps and clear out of this haunted house altogether. The case is one too many for me, and I'm chucking it.' Mr. Narkom opened his mouth to speak, but his colleague gave him no opportunity. "'It's a bit too fishy for my liking,' he went on, "'when the only clues a man's got to go on are a dancing flame and a patch of charred grass, "'which, by the way, never struck me as particularly interesting at the best of times, "'and when evidence points so strongly toward young Merriton's guilt. "'All I can say is, let's go. That's the ticket for me.' "'And for me also, old man,' agreed Mr. Narkom emphatically, following Cleek's lead, though rather in the dark. "'It's back to London for me whenever you're ready.' "'And that'll be as soon as Dollops can pack my things and get em off to the station.' End of chapter 21